Don't pay retail for your diamond engagement ring or gift. Come to CleanOrigin.com. Founded by a leading family in the diamond industry for more than a century, we're experts in lab-grown diamonds because that's all we do. Clean Origin, the only diamond jewelers who give you a 100-day, no-questions-asked return on your purchase. Head to CleanOrigin.com or one of our retail stores and mention code RADIO10 for 10% off your purchase. That's CleanOrigin.com, code RADIO10. I have been waiting for two or three years to say the following words. Man Listening is sponsored by Voice Locket. VoiceLocket.com. Go to the website, watch the video, takes 90 seconds, and tell me what you think. It's as simple as that. VoiceLocket.com. Now the show. It's pretty cool. It's been a great journey, and I do feel more settled every day, which is like every time I walk into a meeting, it it feels more like home every day. What is the sound of one man listening? This is Man Listening, a fresh podcast featuring the stories of strong women who bounce back. Man Listening, because every woman deserves to be heard. Hi there, I'm Stuart Watson, and welcome to Man Listening. This week, my friend Madeline. It's not Madeline. She's a baker. She can make Madelines, probably, but her name is Madeline. Madeline from Westchester County, New York. And I know Madeline through recovery. And she has a hell of a story. And she is grateful to be alive. Wonderful story. I I really wanted to know more about her. I was very curious. And so she came into the studio here at the Big Queen City Podcast Network. My friend Madeline, where were you born? I was born in, I actually always forget the answer to this question because the hospital doesn't exist anymore. So I kind of forget like that city is, I was born in Portchester, New York at United Hospital. And Portchester is what part? Portchester is part of Westchester County, right on the border of Byram Goes into Greenwich, Connecticut. It's kind of near Rye. This is all along the Long Island Sound, like very close to the city. A lot of people think New York State and just picture the giant part. For your mother, you're number what of how many? One of two. Okay. And you have brother, sister? I have a sister who is 22 months younger than me. And you guys are close? Very. Wow. Does she now. Live? Yeah. Not growing up. Not during our teenage years, let's say. The developmental period was... Yeah, it's hard. It's rough on any girl. Yeah. Yeah. Two of us, yeah. Yeah. As a little kid, like two, three years old, like if you go and see like little home videos or home (laughs) movies or whatever, your mother would have said, oh, Madeline was so what? Like what was the temperament before the world got to you? Calm. I was a calm, happy, easy baby, but two or three, I think that's when I started to get a little mischievous, like cutting my sister's hair. But if we go back to pictures, I'm kind of like always the background one, and we refer to my sister as savage baby in like every picture, because I'm just there, because she was very energetic and never focused, so what I'm like, you know, I'm just kind of always in the background of pictures, and Emmy's like, wow. Like the star, like what? <laughs> She's so, out there. That, that I, I faded. <laughs> oh, I get you. Yeah, she was fighting for. I attention. was the easy one, let's say. Yes. Yeah. 
Now, did your parents stay married? Yes. Oh, they did? They have been married for, I'm going to get in trouble if anyone listens to this, since 1978. Wow. 43 years? Something yeah. like that. Yeah. Now, I think you said you, you grew up Jewish. Did you guys go to temple? Were you practicing? So here, that that's interesting. So I don't remember religion coming into my life until like preschool because we went to temple preschool. And my mom was actually not Jewish. My mother is Mary Catherine from Lancaster, Pennsylvania, blonde hair, blue eyes. But I think the spiritual aspect was important to her. And I, I think Judaism just appealed. I mean, we we're going to raise my sister. They were going to raise my sister and I one way and decided on Judaism, which my dad already was not, not very, he didn't come from a religious family at all. I think they just wanted us to have like some introduction to spiritual life, some ground. Identity. Yes. And it became a huge part of our identity for those developmental years because we went to temple preschool. Then we went to like religious school, like the way kids go to like CCD or Christian school, whenever they do it, like on the weekend or after school some days. Um, I think I, I got my first job through someone at the temple, like being a mother's helper when I was probably like 10 or 11. Um, I became really involved in the temple youth group. Oh, so let's backtrack. Like six years old, I went out to check the mail and get this flyer or something from a YMCA camp with like a horse on it. And I was like, mommy, I'm going. Because I rode horses, and she was like, you're a little young. But I was like, awfully independent, like, hands on hips, like, I'm doing this. I'm going. So I did a two-week thing, like, didn't freak out. Turned out sleepaway camp was okay for me. So did it again the next year, but found a Jewish camp. And that became, like, Eisner was our lives. Like, we, my sister followed suit. Did you go by Madeline? No, I was always Maddie. Oh, I decided so to be Madeline in college. Oh, okay. Because? Identity. Another. Like, what does that mean? What's the difference? Who was Maddie and who's Madeline? Maddie was like that little girl, and I had no idea who I wanted Madeline to be. I literally wrote my college essay about having no identity. I was like, everyone else writes a story about something they're passionate about or really good at or a hobby or push it. Completely, honestly, I have none of those things. I've dipped my toe in a lot, and I don't know who I want to be, and that's why I need to go to college. Like, take me and let me find myself. And I think maybe like one out of 13 bought that. <laughs> I, I missed something. Did you have a bat mitzvah? I did. And what was that like? It was really cool. It was at a country club that was decorated for Christmas on the outside because it was in December. And um, it was absolutely beautiful. We People go all out for bat mitzvahs where I'm from. Um, it was like a sweet 16 or maybe a wedding. Quinceanera. Um, si. Yeah. Um, and it was New York City theme. So we had some artists make like centerpieces. It was it was pretty cool. Lots um, of camp friends. All see, all the camp kids were from like Long Island, New Jersey, and Northern Pennsylvania. So it was easy to go. To, but our poor parents, oh my God, that whole year were just schlepping us all over the tri-state area, going to each other's bar and bar was every weekend. Did you make bank like tables covered in gifts or? It's mostly money and people give in increments of 18 because that's like high symbols, life, blah, blah, blah. So like 18. My parents 
took that money and put it in a savings account. Ah, smart. Yes. So I I didn't get to like play with a lot of stuff. There were a few gifts, like little thing I still I actually still use something this little zipper pouch from Barney's from my friend Ian Greenhouse's mom oh my god I love that thing oh that's lovely yeah now would you go into the city very often very it was kind of like my backyard like this playground it was right there the train is so easy did you sneak into the city or were they were like no. fine and so when you went into the city where did you go like what kinds of things would you do in the city we would go to Union Square a lot to like the outdoor market and this noodle place that we loved. And there was a lot of just like wandering around and thinking we were so cool and hanging at St. Mark's Place and really having like no idea what we were actually observing. I did have a strong core group of like my girls. Are you still friends with them? No. And that is like one of my biggest regrets. After college, um, a lot of them moved into the city. I moved back home, stayed in Westchester. Again, super close, no excuse, but that's like, I guess, when I started really drinking. And it, it's purely my fault. I mean, I made an ass of myself like severely at one of their weddings. And like, no wonder I lost contact with that girl. But th- there were twins that I was like super, super close with who I miss dearly. You don't think you could rekindle that? I do. I think about it a lot, actually, reaching out just to say hi. I know there's decade has passed and we're completely different people. At least I am, but I still love you. Like, Oh, that's lovely. They, these twin girls have five boys between the two of them now. It's wow. unbelievable. Wow. I always thought I'd be married with kids by this point. I'm like, did you thinking about that? You thought like, about that, but did you want to be married with kids? Yes, my whole life. And it was kind of always where I thought I'd be at this point, which is why, like, every day I'm like, oh, but now I'm this age and don't have a husband and kids, so, like... I don't know what age that is. Uh, it's 36. You're my daughter's age. But it's... My a, oldest it's, daughter's age. For a woman, it's it's a weird age. You kind of feel like you... At least I personally feel like you kind of have to make that decision. And I know people are having kids like into their 50s these days, freakish science stuff. It's possible. But, you know, I think about like, do I want to be that age or do I want to just continue living the life? But I can't imagine my parents not having grandkids. Yeah. They they were like built to be grandparents. Well, it doesn't have to be you. It could be your kid's sister. Could be. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) pressure's off. It'll be an adopted child. Yeah. It'll, it'll be deeply, deeply loved. So you never got married? I did not. Hmm. Did not. Spent all those years that I should have been meeting someone or connecting with someone, drinking and making an ad, not being very attractive, let's say. Well, but I, you're attractive now. Thank you. And, you know, I mean, it's not, your life's not over. Oh, <laughs> I know. I, oh, my God. I, I don't mean, think <laughs> it's the end of the world. I just, I do, I'm aware of the fact that my life is not like what when when I when little girls like picture their wedding or something like that. When I was little, I always thought like, oh, by twenty six, I'll be married with kids. So I do kind of always have that thought like, this is not where in my like growing up dream life I thought I'd be. Reality has set in. I'm okay with it, but like I'm still aware of it. There's the great John Lennon line: "Life's what happens when you're making plans." Right. You know. And then there's also the greatest delusion there is that if I only had blank, oh, then I'd God. be happy. 
If I only had the spouse, then I'd be happy. If I only had the kids, I'd be happy. If I had that job, I'd be happy. Fill in the blank, and that's the story of my life. And I'm telling you seriously, like I'm not selling it, but AA is the only thing that keeps keeps me out of living that way 24-7 because I can very quickly slip into, like if I just have that, then this will fall into place. And if I just do this, then this will be perfect. And I have to be able to do this before I can do that. It's it's a whole lot of bullshit. But I mean, look at this. You haven't been sobered Not that forever. Far. Nope. Like, can I ask? How four years. Four years. That's still really damn good. I mean, but it's still really but, baby steps. It's pretty cool. It's been a great journey, and I do feel more settled every day. Yeah. Which is like every time I walk into a meeting, it, just, it feels more like home every day. Well, I have to ask. You brought it up. What was? They used the old saying is, it's your liver, your lover, or your lawyer. It's your health, your it, relationships, or legal. Seriously, lawyer. it was lawyer. It, but it should have been health. And I'm telling you, we had you and I spoke about this the other day. Where someone who said, "Oh, you were sharing about someone who was in a relationship with a doctor." Straight up said to this woman, "You're an alcoholic," and that interested you. And I replied to you, "I always was waiting, like hoping that my doctor would tell me I'm an alcoholic. Like there ha- like I was not healthy, and I was sure that like something shocking would like show up in my blood work. What or do something you say? Abnormal. Not healthy. Like what was what was not healthy? I was just like constantly my baseline blood alcohol level daily." was probably like at least 0.15. And so when you when would you start drinking? Like what time of day? When I woke up from any sleep or blackout. Wow. And what would you drink? Vodka. Vodka. This is like towards the end. This is when yeah. Yeah. When I like really I, Were you working? Yeah, but not showing up frequently. What kind of job did you have? I was waitressing. Yeah. Those people party. They do. It was a really small place, and it was not that type of crowd. I, I, I certainly like made it that way for myself. I think <laughs> alcoholics will make it work. I don't care if they're Mormons, you know. Uh, but waiters, bartenders, you know, people who work in hospitality, painters, like contractors, people who work for themselves, lawyers. That's the one that people don't think about. Lawyers drink like fish. I was talking to a lawyer about that this morning. Lawyers very much overrepresent. <laughs> you know what? It's funny. They do. And my dad's a lawyer, or he's been retired for a couple of years, about a decade. But he, they're like when they had summer associates, the events were all, everything's based around alcohol. And there's been a huge shift in like, with the huge firms in the whole culture of is like outside work, social events. And there, a lot of them are shifting to alcohol free events because like there's, there was no way around it becoming the focus without eliminating it. Like, yeah. And in the dating culture, in the dating culture, there are people who say they want to go to sober only places, not because they have an alcohol problem because they want to see who the actual person is. You want to see your sober options. Yeah, you can't see them through a pair of beer goggles. You can't see them clearly. Like, their personality's altered, your personality's altered. You're not having a relationship with the person who's going to be, like, you're going to wake up with. You're you're getting this kind of buzzed version of this person. It's not a clear image of what this person is like. 
That's interesting. I always say, I never wanted a, a first date to be at a bar. I always said the perfect first date would be like, come to the grocery store with me and see if you can tolerate that. <laughs> or watch me eat some barbecue. And if you want to hang around after that, like, great. But that's a good for how do you really get to know someone right off the bat? I mean, what am I going to waste my time with the beer goggles? Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. true. So what was it then? What was the, you know, sort of pivot point, inflection point, moment of decision, bottom? What so, do you want to okay. So I moved from New York the summer of 2017. My parents had sold their full-time home there, and I, I'm just super close with my parents and honestly pretty codependent. And just being that far away from them, like not, not a short drive, but a plane ride was like I really couldn't handle that. And I had also just left my last chef job in New York and was kind of, at, you know, it was a good transitional point anyway. My drinking was getting really bad, and I think it – you know, for them to have an eye on me and for me to be close to them, it was kind of a mutual decision for me to move as well and move to Beaufort, North Carolina, which is a pretty small little beach town, um, very seasonal. And that's when I was like, I'm not going back in the kitchen. I'm going to be a server. It'll be a better way to meet people. I didn't meet people. I didn't go out. I never found anything fun. I, it, I, I just, that's when the misery started. And the bottom was a... DUI New Year's Eve 2017, which was actually my second DUI. My first in North Carolina. Um, Where'd and, you get stopped? Oh, I don't even remember. I this Okay, so this is like the blackout of all blackouts that never came back to me. I remember absolutely nothing. Everything else has come back to me in bits and pieces. I can find it somewhere if I really go in, in the vault. This... Absolutely no idea. I I was supposed to be going to my parents' house after work, drove past there for no reason. I had cigarettes. I didn't need anything. There was no reason for me to be driving beyond, but I got stopped for swerving, and apparently I, my blood alcohol was 0.33, and I like fell out, of, fell out of the car, and you know they don't arrest you. They call the ambulance. So I woke up in the hospital from that one. For, like, so you came to... And in your body, when that memory comes back, in your body, what did you feel like? My soul just sank to like, it just felt like that bed just got so heavy because everything just left me. Because this is not the first time I have woken up with my dad standing over me going, oh, Madeline. And I knew, and he knew this is the last time. And, and I knew as soon as I opened my eyes, like, fuck, like, excuse me, but like, I'm, I'm either going to jail, please let it be rehab, please send me to rehab, but like, I know something's coming, like, my life is about to change. Now, how did you get the rehab option? I mean, how did that work out? My dad, because we, we don't really know anyone in the recovery world, my dad called my aunt, his sack half-sister who lives in East Hampton and she's a psychiatrist and asked her what do we do and for some reason I to this day don't know why she was aware of Alina Lodge told my dad immediately 
Um, don't bother with 30-day treatments. Don't do short-term. They don't work. Don't do outpatient. She's she's bad. You, lock her up. Send her to Alina Lodge. It's long-term. And I guess no questions asked. The, the psychiatrist said so. My dad got on the phone with them, looked it up, and said, this is the place. Like, let's... And, and I that's think he was on New the phone. Jersey, right? That's it's long-term treatment. Yep, residential. This yes. is residential. Yes. Now, can you run away if you want can to? Can you? Yeah. Like it's not. You're not behind barbed wire. You could. No, there's a gate that doesn't close, but um, I don't think I've ever seen it closed. But you could run away. And you could also, if you wanted there to. There was nowhere to go. It, Oh, because you're a long ways away. The closest town, I think, was about a mile and a half. And that town, I mean, like a gas station. But I mean, you could abscond. You could do the great escape and just say, fuck this. I'm I'm out of here. It's a ride. And there are people who do, probably. Yes. I think it happened a couple of times while I was there. And most of them come back. Yeah. So. When you got to Alina Lodge. Oh, my God. First off, it's all women? No, it's co-ed, but it's, like, very divided. Yeah, so the women with women, the men with the men. Except for during mealtimes and lectures where even... There's not literally a divider down the dining room, but, you know, there's staff in the middle, and you're not even allowed to look at each other. So there's not, like, a boy meets girl kind of thing or a girl meets boy. There's got to be something. I heard about, like, people passing notes and little, like, side romances and winking means, like, you're getting married or something. I don't know how... That would have been possible. I, I can't even imagine how anyone would have been able to sneak a note or pass anything or get away with. I mean, there were eyes on us constantly. Um, so could you have a conversation? With a boy? No. Yeah. Oh, no. The only time I talked to a boy was one time visiting day was Sundays. And my dad was there and this other boy, his parents were there. And like, you know, their names. You're aware because you're there for so long, and between lectures and like the the minimal sharing that we are able to do, we get to know people a tiny bit. But we were both, I think, standing around the garden, maybe like 20 feet away from each other, and just said, Hey, and our parents started talking, and someone came, no, 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 uh uh uh. uh." So even, you know, just a, a brief accidental conversation on visiting day was like split up was there a point in alina lodge when you thought about your drinking history and you went shit jail would have been the least of it i could die like like this is a progressive and fatal it did not take long at all the first thing my you're on a buddy system for two weeks. I mean, can you imagine a, thir- a 30 day place? Where you're still having someone show you around for in two weeks. I could, I, I don't, I can't even imagine. But she said, like, oh, well, how was your drinking? What was it like? And I mentioned peeing, and she was like, oh, you're, you're a late stage alcoholic. That's really bad. You mentioned and what? Peeing in the bed. Oh, and then I think it was like the next day or within like soon after one of our lectures that we got a copy of that diagram that shows yeah, the, the progression. Gelnick. Yeah, the yeah, Jelnik curve. The Jelnik curve, exactly. And I, I let me tell you, when I realized how close to the end of that I was is when I had that like holy shit moment. Like, 
That's when I say liver and lawyer because I was sure, like some, I, I was really sick. I've met guys who relapsed and died because in their throat, the blood vessels are very close to the surface. And so when you rot the inside of, you know, uh, not the windpipe, but the, the varices. Yeah, the varices, exactly. Mm -hmm. And so you bleed out, boom, like that, you know, because blood's just pouring into the stomach and there's no way to like stitch these back together. And so it, it's a toxin, you know, it's extremely like it eats away at the body. And people say, oh, glass of wine, blah, 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 bullshit. You know, we're talking about straight vodka and it's extremely corrosive. And it, people it, don't realize oh, that. I, I literally felt like I was pouring something flammable into my blood was made of vodka. I was 30% vodka all the time. Like every time I, for, fuck a glass, every time I chugged from the bottle a whole one a day, I was still drinking a lot. But I, I was just waiting, like what's, what's going to blow up? Like what's going to explode in there? Let's just say I didn't always think I was going to die, but there were definitely days when I was surprised I woke up. Now, Alina Lodge, so you get there, you get calmed down, Two weeks, four weeks, you get to where it gets. I didn't go to detox. Did they give you something there for it, or? I think they gave me. It'll come to me. Maybe like Boost Bar or something stupid. I don't know what that is. It's it's like a nothing. But and here's the reason because this long term treatment. I'm sure people in recovery know that's where they send people who are really bad or have been to multiple treatments. Chronic relapsers, people with coexisting conditions this is the last house on the block and so I didn't know that people who are trained in treatment say when you're asked like oh what are you taking and how much what's, what's going in what's in your system I completely lied because I, I wanted to sound better I wanted to sound healthier I didn't know you're supposed to say like oh I drink like gallons so they give you more benzos to detox like I had no idea so I said I was only drinking like five or six shots a day so I guess like over the phone, they decided that detox wasn't necessary. So I did spend uh, like a week or two wandering around, like scared I was going to have a seizure. But you didn't have a I seizure. I did not, thank yeah. God. Did you see anybody have a seizure? A few months into treatment, someone who had been there for a while, it wasn't like during detoxing. Yes. And he, oh my God, I will never forget the sound. It sounded like a, the Star Wars guy. Was, Again, yeah. And just... Dropped to the floor, and it was one of those, like, I had to leave the room. It was shocking, because everyone just kind of sat there, and, like, it was in the dining room, so what do you do? You just sit in silent and, and stare. Do you keep eating? How long does it take for help to come? Are you going to clear the room? Like, I, I bolted. I, like, I, that just didn't feel appropriate to me. That didn't feel right. That didn't feel respectful, and I just I didn't want to watch it. I'd never seen it. And then since then, there was that accident at, at the meeting. There's also yeah, but that still, wasn't that was an accident. But that was another seizure. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. So I did see a seizure. So and he was okay. But that was months after. How long were you there before you sort of said this might work? Like this might actually work. You actually have to be kind of audacious to hold out any hope. You know. It's like you don't dare hope because it's just been, it's just setting yourself up for disappointment if you 
harbor any hope that it's ever going to be any difference. And so what was it this time around in this long term, like six months plus, that you like, wow, if I'm able to do this, this, and this, I could actually have a life. I think it was... So visiting day was every Sunday, and it was you could only have two guests, and it was a small... Like if you were getting visitors, if it was the same person, they could only you I'm sorry, you could only receive a visitor every three weeks, no matter who it was. If, if like your grandma wanted to come well, like, too bad, then your parents have to wait three weeks. And my parents being in North Carolina came to visit frequently. I was super, super, super lucky. I, they're the most supportive people in the world. I could talk about that for they still saved my life. The first few visits, so the first few they're three weeks apart, the first few months, I fought so hard I don't have to be here I'm better already I'm nothing like it get me out of here I'm fine I I don't want to drink anymore there's no point in this six months is too long and then my mom said at one of these visits she was they were so angry that I was fighting it and like I like I'm so ungrateful and my mom looked at me and said do you know that when we were packing up your apartment it felt like you were dead and like that really hit me like, holy shit, I need I need to take this more seriously. And then a few weeks later, this is maybe about half, maybe about four months into it, five months in, we they have on Saturday nights graduates, people who have been successfully been through the program who are still sober, come back and share their stories. And they, they offer it annually. They like to celebrate people's anniversaries of, of their graduation, not of their sobriety date. So this, one, this woman came back to share her story. I think she had like seven or eight years. And you can bring guests with you. And she had her family with her. And afterwards, you get to pick a song. Like the, the graduate who's, who's speaking gets to pick a song from a limited number of uh, the Alina Lodge songbook. Um, and then I don't even remember what her song, I think it was, I hope you dance that, that I hope you did like take the chance song, which is like, my dad loves that song. And this girl was standing there like arm in arm with her dad. He gave her that, like, I'm so proud of you hug. And I cried with my friend. I was like, oh, I, want, I miss my dad so much. This was a Saturday night. The next mo- Sunday morning, we all look in the dining room in the morning because visits are secret. You never know if you're getting a visitor or when. We're all looking through the window because you have to wait in the hallway for like 10 minutes before you're allowed in just for the sake of waiting for 10 minutes. Following suggestions, which I eventually learned. Okay, this is why. Okay, okay, this is why. So this is when it's starting to make sense. So there's one table set up for a visit on the woman's side of the room with two plates. So it's, you know, a resident and one guest. So, you know, everyone's like, who's coming? Who's getting a visitor? Who would it be? I knew, like, it can't be me because it would be both my parents. Like, it was my dad by himself. He had an eye appointment in New York and said, I can't be up this close without seeing you. And it was just, like, after that moment of, like, that might have been prayer. Like, I need my dad. Like, like this girl having hurt, that was like some kind of sign or something. And the fact that he showed up the next day, I was like, something works. Something's happening. And, like, I think that, I think that was. How did you know you were ready to 
get out of this very sort of cloistered environment? How did I know? Yeah, or how, how did, did you know? How did you know? How did they know that you're... It's, it's I guess, it's really more how, how they know. I mean, you could say you're ready to go anytime. I feel good. I'm good. Um, but I really, I really, I mean, really started it? to feel it after about like seven months. I was like, I, I have, I have to get out of here. And I, I was kind of freaking out. Like th- this, I'm fine. Like I've done the work. Like I get it. Like I'm not showing bad behaviors. I like, what do I have to do? I'm stepping up everywhere. And I think, I think they just like wouldn't release someone that early. Like it was unheard of. And seven months sounds like a long time to me, but it is. And I was there for just shy of nine. So during the eighth month, like usually you don't know you're getting out. It'll tell you like the week before an interesting thing happened towards the end of my stay and a buddy who was like a month behind me for leaving. Actually, she was like a month ahead of me getting there. We had the same counselor and our counselor left to have a baby with like two months left of our programs and we kind of got a new substitute counselor who and we kind of also got shifted to one of the other already existing counselors who we knew like part-time so it was like wait Megan's gone who is Ellen my counselor or is this new lady my counselor and I think I only met with this new lady like once or twice before I left I like wasn't getting sessions I was like it's Am I forgotten in this system? Like, it's time to go. So since the the whole change in the counseling and everything and the kinds of conversations that were happening, because I was having to do it, I, I knew it was coming. What kind of aftercare is there? Like, what? How oh, do, how oh do you... sorry. Backtrack. And your parent, there's a visiting weekend when you know you're, you know you're, about to be done when they tell you it's time for your family weekend. Everyone has a family weekend where their family comes up and stays for a couple of days and really learns about the program. And there's a lot of, there's a whole a separate family counselor who this is all she does. Donna's amazing. And Donna sat with my family for like three days, just hanging out, talking to us, answering questions, explaining what going to Charlotte was going to be like, telling me about the recovery here, telling me about the transition telling me what sober living I was going to, where it is in the city. It, it was So I did have some understanding of what was next, at least on paper. I didn't really get it. I, didn't, I had no idea what moving to sober living meant. So you came here to kind of a halfway place? I did. And I did. if you had to go straight back into either living by yourself in an apartment or living with your parents, what, do, what did you think about that sober living environment? I thought it was a good idea. Like, I, I just got it. I think it was set in me that this whole following suggestions thing is there for a reason and it's going to work. If, if I want this and I want to be successful, I'm going to do what they said. If they say six months in sober living, fine, six months in sober living. So you weren't digging in your heels and arguing with them. I'm fine. I'm good. No, I, need I was to just... not skipping that step. I was not fighting about that. I but was you... fighting about getting sent to Charlotte and not across the street staying in New Jersey, which were the two options. Right. Why, why didn't you want to come to Charlotte? Why no, I did want to come to Charlotte. Oh, I was okay. fighting staying in New Jersey. I was, oh, I was yeah. happy to come to Charlotte. I was yeah. refusing to stay in New well, Jersey. Well, you also have 
a family network here. I mean, you have which that is support. tricky. They want to keep you away from your families. Generally, the the general Alina Lodge rule of thumb is: oh, you're not gonna get sent to Charlotte because you have family in North Carolina. So we're gonna send you somewhere else. Huh? That's they, interesting. My family is supportive, and I guess, I guess they knew they weren't unhealthy enablers. It wasn't a dangerous relationship for me to go back to. So. It was okay. And it's, Charlotte's far enough away from Beaufort that it was okay. Um, so how long were you in the halfway house? Six months. When you got out of the halfway house, you went where? I moved in with a friend who had moved out of the halfway house. Ah. Who I met there. I made friends with Mary in, in Hope Homes. You're both in recovery. We're both, I don't know where Mary is. Um, yeah, but so I mean, you're both in recovery. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I so your count of accountability partners. If they, if you see something date, if you see exactly. something a little shaky with that somebody. was the idea. Yeah, Mo- like the best next step after, like taking baby steps after moving out of treatment, then sober living. Then the next step is with someone else who's sober. Yeah, and I then we so we had. Did you apartment. like Hope Homes? Did you like that? I did. It was a, it was a good place. I mean, it, it's nice. Don't they have that thing where you have to vote? Like, um, if a new you do interview new prospects um, because you want to know who's coming into the community and make sure. That, I don't I don't understand it. How could you not accept someone? You can say no though, right? If you're yes. like, mm. I remember saying no in an interview because the woman came to the interview drunk, and I asked her. <laughs> I straight up. That would be a sign. I, I that would asked, be one sign. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, a huge sign. But she she wasn't really showing it. She was like slightly slurring her words. I don't think anyone else caught on to it. So and we all said the regular questions, oh, what do you do? And she's like, I was with my parents all day. There's there's no way I could have been drinking, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just going to ask you like straight up just for honesty, like, are you, have you been drinking today? And she said no. And then they took her for a piss test and she, and she failed. <laughs> so your instincts were pretty good. I like to think so, but I still would have accepted her if she had just said yes. Yeah, but they might not have. They I, might not I like have. to think they would have. Yeah. I mean, they accepted a man to live with us in the woman house. They'll take anybody. That was, that was a story. Oh, my God. So at one point, I was living with my, my – this is still my best friend who is, is gay and – which I we are like the complete opposite people, and it's hilarious when we are out together because people think we're like a couple, and we, we just could not get along better. We have each other's backs, like no matter what. This that's my girl. So we were living together, and this situation arose that a transgender woman, someone transgender transitioning to a woman, was feeling really unsafe in the men's home and needed was going to be placed in the hope home, the woman's home because that's where she would feel safer and we were told you know this this person totally presents as a woman is really far along in the transition um and of course they that she's going to live with us because Carrie's gay so obviously will be the ex- put her in and the liberal new yorker put him they'll, in put her they'll, in there they'll get along perfect obviously I'm it's saying. a threes company yeah so this man with eyeshadow basically came to live with us for a couple days masquerading as i think meredith or something i don't even remember and 
th- like two days later, got caught trying to buy cars at a used car lot with his sister's stolen identity and got arrested. Like, I think it was all a scam. There was no transition. He actually had a flyer or, like, a consult folder from a, a plastic surgery place. Like, oh, here's the consultation for your breast augmentation. So God only freaking knows if this was a real transgender person. <laughs> wait, wait, but the point is no judgment will take anyone. There's some like, sort of made-for-Netflix story in here. Oh, we my God. We just have to get it. Oh, <laughs> my God. It. When you got out, you were living... Mm-hmm. Did you ever feel I'm not ready for this? No. You you were you were ready. I felt I was always independent before and I felt safe going back to an independent life. Did you ever feel like Not and I, let me let me clear I isolated terribly, but I knew that I was capable and had in the past led a very productive, independent life. And I, and I felt safe that I could go back to that, not the isolation mode. Relapse is almost more the norm than not. You know, I mean, it's very, very common. And with alcohol, there's this feeling, eh, it's just, you know. I mean, a lot of people don't think of it as like heroin. They think, relapse, okay, detox, call the lawyer, blah, blah, blah. And they don't realize the risk of death from a wide variety of ways, that how much it can shorten your life for really young people, et cetera. Um, Knowing that, to what do you attribute your four years, your being in your fifth year? Like, why why are you not drunk because that, oh, just, you know, detox called, that's not an option for me. That is not an option. If I relapse, I will be, if I live, I will be out on my own. And I, I am not prepared. I'm not built to be out there on my own drunk, not having any resources. That's not something Madeline is capable of. And I would quickly die. It, my family will not help me. I will not get saved again. Alina Lodge was, and think it worked. I keep doing the work. I've done the work. Um, when you say do the work, what do you mean? I mean keeping up with going to meetings, sponsorship, all everything I've been told, following all the stupid suggestions, not stupid suggestions, everything. Just all <laughs> things you thought were all, stupid. <laughs> all the steps we've taken to get here. I just, I, I just. Every day, relapse is not an option. The lifeboat thing is my favorite thing. If you're in the lifeboat and all people talk about is their shark bites and their horror stories, like why the hell you want to go swim in the ocean and get a shark bite when you know how bad it is? Like I don't want to try it. Thank, thank you everyone who shares their relapse stories because it keeps me from not doing it. Yeah. Yeah. You feel a lot better now? I mean, do you feel, are you, are you happier I'm much happier. I'm not. I'm not unhappy at all. But that that like first year or two of like everything's great. That obviously fades. I feel. I feel like normal life. I feel good. I'm not. I don't want to drink. But is that not a, not everything's amazing? It's a good day. Yeah. I'm happy to be here. Within Jewish culture, there's this. You know, you see the, the chai, the life, mm-hmm. the symbol of life. Looks kind of like pie. Like it does, it tea, does look a lot like pie. With it. Yes. There is, in Jewish culture, there are some people who are sourpusses, but there's, there's a 
huge like joy of living, like a joy of life, like savoring food, savoring friends, savoring the warmth of fellowship. And I'm wondering, I sense in you that some of that just loving cookies, loving baking, loving cooking, loving life, you know, the full, the fullness of it. It's it's too bad this isn't a video and you can't see my face right now because I'm just like grinning ear to ear because You're beaming. I was making challah this morning, like for that specific reason. I was gonna do some I was going to do my crossword puzzle. I said, you know what? It's Friday. I'm making challah just for the connection. Yeah. Just for the connection. Just know for the feel of it. The meaning of it, even though I'm not, I'm not going to go to temple. I'm not going to light candles. I'm not religious, but just like knowing that thousands of other people around the world are doing the same thing at the same time is kind of cool, kind of therapeutic. And you never know, Madeline. You might find a nice Jewish boy. I just don't know. Ian Greenhouse got married. They're around. That's what my mom. My mom always said when we were younger. Find, we're gonna have a nice Ian Greenhouse boy. Find a find a boy like Ian Greenhouse. I hope he never hears this. <laughs> His family's beautiful. What's he doing now? Where I is don't that guy? know. He's in the city. Yeah. He's still friends with our old friends. Well, see, my wife's father used to say, that Robert Slaughter's a nice boy. This was after <laughs> she was dating me. He, he would say, he's, he's going to be a doctor. That, that, that Robert Slaughter, he's a nice, nice boy. Everyone nice has boy. the someone they want. He's a nice boy. Yeah. <laughs> Dad, I want you to meet Stuart. That Robert Slaughter, you know, very nice. <laughs> he was the guy that the girls would always take home to meet the parents. Uh-huh. Very tall, dark, you know, very presentable. Clean cut. Exactly, and had a future he could provide. Man with a plan. Yeah, exactly. But I sense that you're going to be A-OK no matter what. Thank you. I, I hope so. Don't I think you feel that in your bones? Don't you? I feel? do. Yeah. I really do. Yeah. I mean, I feel protected. Yeah. Who's protecting you? I have no idea. Some higher power. Do you, you say know, prayers, Madeline? No. I talk to myself out loud in the car. Not to myself. What's that sound like? It's a lot of questions. Like, what's one today? I wonder who designs these traffic lights. Like, why, why <laughs> well, have we not? That's just a matter of traffic engineering. That's not the cosmic. That's not right. But I do really think, what, I, you know what, I ask, like, why am I driving towards blah, 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 when I should really be going and getting X done? I, I ask things And like you say that. this out loud. These are the things. Yes, I do say things out loud. Do you like, get answers? What are you doing? Where are you going? Why are you doing this? Do you get answers? Sometimes, but not like it's not like someone talks to me. It'll be like I'll suddenly get to standstill traffic where I could be turning to go do the productive thing. I'm like, oh, how convenient this path towards the right thing I just made for you. Mm. Like that will happen. And who's the I that's making the path? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, good for people who do know. I don't. And yeah. I'm okay with that. Yeah. I'm, I'm not pushing. Not pushing. I'm it's just not asking. Jesus, I'll tell you that. I'm just asking, <laughs> Madeline. I'm not pushing. I'm not pushing. I know. I know. Yeah. I don't feel pushed. You are so good to come in and do this. It was fun. 
Well, good. This is fun. You're a fun guy. You're easy to talk to. Did I listen? I think you heard me. I think listening and hearing are different things. I, th- I think you really heard. Yeah. God bless you, Madeline. Thank you. You too, Stuart. You're a fantastic man, and thanks for doing this for a woman everywhere. Madeline said her one regret is that she didn't have the challah bread. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That's my regret, too, Liz. Liz, the producer. I don't know if Liz would have eaten the challah bread. That would have just been more for me. Man Listening is a production of Unmediated LLC in cooperation with the Queen City Podcast Network and Balto Creative Media. Allison Andrews at Andrews Creative and Rachel Clapp Miller are developmental producers. Sally Higgins at Higgins and Owens tries to keep us legal. Our music is A Day at the Park by the group Pictures of the Floating World. Your announcer is Catherine Smith. That's me. Please go to our Patreon page. You'll find us at patreon.com. Look for Man Listening, one word, no spaces. We hope you'll join us by becoming a member. A small investment can raise up the conversation. If you want exclusive member merch, like a t-shirt, we can arrange that too. We'll have another episode next week. And remember, we're sponsored. We're sponsored. Lots of love for Voice Locket. Just like you'd spell it, voicelocketogether.com. Check it out. Watch the video. Let me know what you think. See you next week. Don't forget to support us at Patreon. We believe one voice can change the conversation. Thanks.